Sirs, moms, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Redcoat History podcast and YouTube channel, the place for people who love British military history and a damn good story. Today I'm looking at a campaign I know very little about, Britain's campaign in Abyssinia, 1867-1868. It's fascinating on many levels, particularly for those interested in logistics. Today's just a short introduction, but it is a subject we may look at more again in the future. Please be sure to leave a comment, to subscribe over at redcoathistory.com slash newsletter. When you do so, I'll keep in touch with a bi-weekly email with news about all the latest content from Redcoat History, as well as links and information to other sites, other books, other videos that I find interesting, and I think you will too. All right, guys, let's crack on. Abyssinia, now known as Ethiopia, it's famous for never having been colonised. Okay, a five-year occupation by Mussolini's Italians in the 30s doesn't count. But did you know that in 1868 it was invaded by the British in a campaign as fearsome and difficult as any the British Empire ever faced? It's a fascinating and little-known Victorian-era war. So I asked historian and collector Ian Shapiro to explain a bit more about why it happened. My name is Ian Shapiro, I live in London, I work as a consultant to Spink, the auctioneers of stamps, coins, medals, banknotes, autographs, and I collect across a wide area and I'm interested in colonial history. So you're obviously speaking about the Abyssinian campaign today. Can you give me a little bit of background about why Britain would get involved in such a complicated and expensive military campaign in such a difficult part of Africa? Yes, I think it's, it can be answered really in, in very briefly. The Emperor of Abyssinia wrote a letter to Queen Victoria in the early 1860s. The letter went unanswered and he got terribly upset. He was seeking to improve diplomatic relations between his country and the United Kingdom. And he was so offended that he took the British consul hostage together with a number of foreign missionaries. And he held them atop his mountain fortress at Magdala, where news soon reached the British uh, government that the hostages were being held in very unfavorable circumstances. They were being chained and were not very happy. So an expedition was sent out, primarily to rescue the consul and the missionary hostages. I mean, it seems a big leap to, you know, send, send a large expedition for something like that. Were, were, were other routes looked into? Did, you know, presumably there was diplomatic channels. There were diplomatic channels. There were attempt, attempts to release uh, the emperor on more than one occasion promised to release the hostages, but eventually the only way to solve the solution was to send an invading army from India all the way to Annesley Bay on the Red Sea. And then they began a 400 mile route march to the mountain fortress to try and achieve the objective. Invading Ethiopia was an incredibly complicated and difficult expedition, even for the British, who let's not forget were the Americans of their day. Command of the expeditionary force fell to Lieutenant General Sir Robert Napier. He was an interesting choice because he was a sapper by trade and it was the first time an engineer had been put in command of such a large expedition. But he was a battle-hardened, tough warrior who had fought in both Sikh wars and the Indian mutiny, getting badly wounded in the process. He assembled a force of 13,000 British and Indian soldiers, 26,000 camp followers and over 40,000 animals. The plan was then to build a fort, lay a railway and march 400 miles through the mountains. 
It was very challenging. They had spies out who had um, looked at the lay of the land, the Abyssinian terrain, very inhospitable for moving forces and animals, and they established an invading route, bribing tribes along the way to give them support. The elephants were very active, the horses were very active, and there's some marvellous photographs showing the troop movements that were taken by the Royal Engineers. And what, what incidents happened along the way? What did, what did we see in terms of actual fighting? There was very little fighting along the way. It was probably one of the few Victorian um, era campaigns that had minimal loss of life, no Victoria crosses, and there was no fighting until the force arrived at the foot of Magdala, atop which the Emperor and the hostages and the Abyssinian troops were based. Can you give us some examples of the lengths the British had to go to to transport themselves across, across the country? They established a very, very good telegraph pole system and communications were along that by telegraph, but also they relied on the local troops um, to be fed and watered by the tribesmen who lived along this 400 mile route and they were paid with Marie Theresa Talas, which went down very well. So there was a huge treasury of these coins that accompanied the invading force. And are they silver coins? They are silver coins and they've all got a date from the 1700s because those are the coins that were familiar and acceptable, although they were minted much later. And railways, I believe there were some railways built as well? Only, only from the start at, at the port to get everything moving, but the terrain was very mountainous and there was no railway line all the way down, only for part at the beginning of the, um, of the expedition. The trek to Chudros's capital Magdala took three months, and when the British finally arrived, the Emperor's troops were ready for a scrap. Determined to take the initiative, the Ethiopians attacked on the 10th of April 1868, backed by 30 pieces of artillery. It was a ferocious assault, but they were thrown back with heavy losses. They couldn't match the firepower of the modern British army. Over the next two days, Emperor Chudros did release his European captives, but he still refused to surrender. On the 13th of April, the Redcoats attacked up these steep hills towards the fortress. As they forced their way through the gates, Emperor Chudros, rather than surrender, shot himself. Napier and his men had achieved their objective. They had freed the prisoners and now they burnt down the fortress, they destroyed the guns, they did a bit of looting and then they turned around and went back to the coast. And Napier seems to have come away from this with quite a lot of credit. Is that deserved? Did he do a really good job? Well, he achieved his objective, and the objective was precisely that, to release the hostages. The fact that the emperor committed suicide um, was maybe a bonus for them, because they wouldn't have known what to do with him. So the emperor dies, the little crown prince is brought back here, and they left the country. The objective was not to remain as an occupying power or to have any political influence over the future of Abyssinia. Because I think most people will be surprised this campaign even happened. I don't think it's one many people are aware of. You think of Abyssinia, you think of the Italians. That's right. What made the British decide that they had no interest in staying? I don't think that they had any natural um, influence in the country. It was a Christian kingdom, uh, very tribal, tribes fighting one against the other. It was not, it was not a natural area for the British to, um, to occupy for strategic reasons or any other. So for you personally, and maybe for, you know, historians, what do you think is particularly interesting about this campaign? What do you think we can learn from it? And what, 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 what tickled your fancy, so to speak? I became interested because I'm interested in, in the history of royalty 
and the influence of emperors around the world and King Theodore, Emperor Theodore, Tiwadros was certainly a major player at the time. And I bought a document that had his great lion seal on it, the Lion of Judah, and that started my interest. And from then on, these things sort of catapult into all kinds of areas. The lessons to be learnt, if you have a military objective, stick to it, keep it simple. And at the end, once you've achieved it, go home. And I think there are lessons from a military perspective to be learnt about that. You invade, you achieve, you return home. And if you choose to occupy, you've got to be jolly careful about what your objectives are. Damn good advice that, both for then and for now. After the war, Napier himself became Baron Napier of Magdala and in 1883 became a field marshal. Not a bad career. So that is just a very short introduction to this fascinating campaign. I know almost nothing about it before, but I'm realising that it is one we should look into more. And hopefully I'll have other experts on the podcast, on the YouTube channel in the future to tell us more about it.